This year's theme is Learning to Love, a study through 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be looking closely at this incredible chapter. This is one of the best known chapters in the Bible. We've all seen the plaques, the cards, the books on this passage. But when you look closely at this passage and you make application to ourselves, it becomes a deep examination of our spiritual life in regard to how we love. It's very challenging. And this passage is something that we need to review often. And when it comes to our relationship as a husband and a wife, this is where God wants to do a beautiful new work and deepen our relationship throughout our married life. You see, God has called us to a special love affair with our spouse. And it is to be a continual practice. It is to be ongoing. So we're going to look and and study 1 Corinthians 13 and see how God's great love can touch our hearts. How God's great love can develop our love and, and, and teach us how to love our spouse. And the truth for all of us, and I'm here to say this is for us also, is that it's not always easy to love. There are times when we don't want to love. And as we go through the day-to-day life interactions as a husband and a wife and with all the craziness of life and it's all happening, there are times when love is not all romantic. Even though that is to be a part of our marriage. And there are those in-between times when romantic love is not blossoming in the midst of the frenzy of life. In the midst of disagreements, schedules, and all that comes, that hits us, that comes to us in the midst of everyday life. So can we love? Can this really take place in the midst of all that I just mentioned? And if so... How does it take place in the midst of all this? Well, our goal and prayer this year is to see the Lord use this incredible section of his word to teach us to love our spouse and transform our marriages. And that he would use this series to break through all those barriers that might be in the way. There are might be some of us here tonight where God's love is not operating in our marriage as it should be, as God would have it to be. And why is that? We have to ask ourselves, why is that? Why does it seem that many times the love that is supposed to be so basic to Christian character, it does not characterize our marriage? 
Why is it so difficult sometimes to love our spouse? Why is it that sometimes we don't want to love our spouse? Well, the answer is simple. It's because we are not yielding to God's agape love in our own hearts as we should be yielding. We're living for self and allowing self to get in the way. And as a result, we're not living in God's agape love. But the commandment that God requires of us is to love one another. Jesus said this in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have also loved you and you also love one another. First John 4, 16 declares that we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides and that word abides has a meaning to continue, to dwell, to endure and remain in love, abides in God and God in him. We must abide in God's love in order to love our spouse with his love, even when we don't feel like it, even when it's difficult. And we'll go through different reasons why in a bit, but the bottom line is that it starts with us, with me. I have to love my husband with God's love, whether I want to or not, whether I feel like it or not, whether I think he deserves it or not. It starts with me. Hmm. And so we're going to spend the next several months looking closely at this incredible chapter. And our prayer is that through these studies, God would impact us in a fresh, new way. That's what he does with his word, you guys. All these years that we've been looking at 1 Corinthians in our own life, every time I go back, there's a fresh new experience. There's a challenge. There's a, a conviction. There's a hope. There's a, there's a joy because... We can live out God's word. And that's our prayer for this year. That we would see the greatness of his love in a unique way that only he can show us. God's love, you guys, is not of this earth. It's direct from heaven. It's given to those who are his, who have given their life to him, who are born again but also those who yield their hearts to him. And our prayer is that this powerful chapter would be used in a powerful way, in a valuable way to aid us, to fortify our marriages, to prevent divorce, to mend any areas in our marriages that need mending and to continue to strengthen our marriage relationships. And the result would be that we would all learn how to apply God's love in greater ways, in a greater measure, by his great power, and be blessed and amazed as our Lord does a beautiful new work in our marriages. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, it's the central chapter in Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts, it's sandwiched right between chapter 12 and chapter 14. And at the end of chapter 12, if you look at verse 31, Paul tells the church, he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Paul is saying, I will show you a much better way, and that is the way of love. You see, the church in Corinth did not have a problem believing in the gifts. 
then they did not have a problem with those gifts operating in their midst. But the problem was their motivation behind using the gifts. They were ignorant on how they should exercise those gifts for the proper edification of the church. And Paul is telling them here at the end of chapter 12 to earnestly desire the best gifts. He didn't want to squelch the gifts, but he wanted to show them a more excellent way, a more abundant way, a way that is beyond measure. And that more excellent way is God's agape love. It's not conflict. It's not struggle. It's not self-seeking. It's not pride, not envy, not jealousy. All those things must be replaced with God's love. Love is to be the all-dominating motive in seeking and using spiritual gifts. This is what chapter 13 is all about. It's about God's agape love, the love that God supplies us with if we belong to him. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed us that love. He shows me that love even when I fail it throughout the day. The natural human mind it cannot fully grasp the depth, of, the depth of God's divine love apart from God coming into a person's heart. The same chapter, Romans 5, in verse 5, tells us that those who have given their lives to the Lord... It says that the, the, the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's there if we're born again. It's been given to us by the Holy Spirit. This is God's love. It's not a gift, but it's a grace. And it's, it's proof that you're born again when you function in God's love. I know Gloria is born again because the way she shows love toward me. I know that it's only of the Lord. (laughs) You know, she has romantic love and all that other stuff for me. But God's love, I see it come forth. And it's powerful. It's proof that we're born again. And this is the love that Paul is referring to in this chapter. It's not a romantic or a sexual love. It's not a sentimental love. It's not a close friendship or brotherly love. It's not a heathen love. In other words, you're not going to find this love down here on earth apart from the Holy Spirit's indwelling God's people. I always think of Zsa Zsa Gabor and all her marriages. You know, ah, we fell out of love, darling. That wasn't love. That's not real love. And people who do not know the Lord, they can experience all the other kinds of love. But God's agape love is impossible to experience without being born again. Agape love is found only in God and given to his children. Agape love does not have its origin in man, but in God. 
Agape love is divine, God's divine love directly from God himself. He is the source. Agape is God's own love because God is love. 1 John 4.16, God is love. The ultimate measure and example of God's love is his display of this divine love for mankind at the cross. When he sent his son to die for my sin and yours. John 3.16. Agape love is sacrificial. It's not superficial. It's self-giving. It's not self-gratifying. And it's not an act of emotion, but an act of will. And it's not dependent on anything outside of itself. In other words, it's not affected by the worthiness or the unworthiness of the one it loves. And Jesus gave us an illustration in John 13 at the Last Supper when he removed his outer garments and then he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he did this as a demonstration of sacrifice to love those who were then only thinking of themselves. He was about to go to the cross and his disciples were arguing about which of them was the greatest. We read that in Luke 22. They were undeserving, they were selfish, they were insensitive, but Jesus chose to love them completely by his action. And he taught them by his action to love not in word, but to love in action or deed. And by washing their feet, Jesus showed his disciples that love is not an act of emotion, but it is a sacrificial act of will and selflessness. And just as Jesus loved by washing feet, he calls us to do the same. Love is displayed in a humble service to meet someone else's needs, no matter how humble that act might be or how undeserving that person might be. And again, there might be times when you feel, you know, my spouse just doesn't deserve my love. You know, I've been good to them or, you know, they're this or that. But that's not what the Lord is showing us here. God's love is displayed in a humble service, whether that other person is deserving or not. If we're born again, if we're going to love with God's love, that's, that's the example Jesus gave us. Jesus said in John 15, 9, as the father loved me, I also have loved you and abide in my love. And we can only find this kind of love through God. And in God, can we have the potential to love our spouse with his love, just as Jesus exemplified that sacrificial love. That's the only way we're going to be able to love our spouse when we don't feel like it, when we think they don't deserve it. God desires us to impart his divine agape love uh, to us and, and into our marriage as we yield to his love. And when we stray from that source of love, when we don't allow his love to filter our hearts, then we're left with our ugly self. You know, maybe our spouse doesn't deserve it, but then we get ugly because now we start just acting the same way. And God's agape love is nowhere in the marriage. But one of us has to start with yielding to that humble sacrifice as Jesus did for God's agape love to filter into us and into our marriage. It is impossible for us to love with God's love naturally. We have to be born again, but when we're born again, he will give his children his love. And it's possible to love with his love. But when we draw from the source of love, when we abide in Christ, 
we can again bring his love into our marriage by yielding to his love. The description of love that Paul lays out for us in this incredible chapter we're going to go through is how God wants to permeate our lives and our marriage in an everyday way as we live as husband and wife day to day and as we go through this this season we're, we're going to go through all those how do we how do we put that into practice it all comes down to this is God's agape love active in our marriage and in our lives or is our fallen nature self is it active instead are we acting with our ugly self instead or are we allowing God's agape love to be active in our marriage, regardless of whether our spouse deserves it or not, or we feel like it or not. Are we allowing God to fill us with his love? And then we in turn bring that into our marriage. There's a a story of a Christian woman with a short temper and her short temper many times caused full blown arguments with her husband And one day, she started to give him a piece of her mind again because he was doing something that was annoying her. And she heard the voice of the Holy Spirit admonishing her that you could stop right now if you wanted to. You can just stop. The Holy Spirit was checking her. But she went on to continue to be her ugly self and provoke another full-blown argument with her husband. And over time, this took a toll on her marriage. And when their marriage was like this, she realized it, that that separateness that they had because of how she allowed her temper and those full-blown arguments to take that toll on her marriage. And then she began to pay heed to the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit. And she'd asked the Lord to forgive her, and she asked the Lord for the grace to obey those promptings of the Holy Spirit when he would say something like, you don't have to continue. You can stop. You can show love. And as she did that, she was able to now see her husband through God's eyes. And, and the Holy Spirit was able to overrule her old nature instead of her old nature overruling her. It was the Holy Spirit that, that now dominated her because of God's love. She was allowing to come in. And then those annoyances weren't so annoying anymore. And she was able to see her husband through God's eyes because of God's agape love. And and this is what God wants to do with each of us. Impart his love into us and help us to see our spouse through God's eyes. With his love, not through our eyes, not our flesh, not our nitpickiness, not through annoyances, but through God's eyes and through God's love. Psalm 23, 26, actually God requires our hearts in order to do that. In order for us to love our spouse with God's love, we have to yield and surrender our hearts to the Lord, especially when he's telling us, "Uh uh-uh, don't say that, don't do that. You know, just pray for them, love them, whether they were, you know, curt to you right now or not. Love them still, be kind still. All All the things, I think we all know the promptings that the Holy Spirit tells us when we could either go this way, you know, our, our day can spiral downward, or we could try to react in, in God's love. But as we yield our hearts, Psalm twenty three twenty six says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe. And that word means to delight in my ways. And as we yield our hearts to the Lord, he will change us from within. And only then 
can we willingly yield to God's love and those promptings of the Holy Spirit? And will we be able to see our spouse through his eyes? And the amazing thing is that then God uses that to speak to our spouse, who in turn, Lord willing, as you pray for them, will yield themselves to the Holy Spirit, to God's love as well. So 1 Corinthians 13 is going to give us a good gauge on who directs our hearts and who we are yielding our hearts to. Tonight we're going to look at verses 1 to 3, and we call this the precondition of love. In these verses, Paul uses these extensive overstatements to make his point. And with all the different examples that he uses, he's basically saying, if somehow I were able to do or to be something to the greatest extreme, but did not have love, I would be absolutely nothing. And as we look at this, it's interesting uh, to note up front that in all these three verses here, Paul puts himself first. He begins each of the first uh, of the first three verses by saying, suppose, suppose I speak with the tongues of men and angels. And though I have the gift of prophecy and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned. And I think Paul put, wrote it this way and he wanted to make it clear that as he said this to the Corinthian church that it applied to him first. This applied to him first. It is Paul's indirect way of saying, I have to examine my own life first before I recommend that you examine yours. And that's a good first lesson that we can learn from Paul. The lesson is before we we throw a stone at each other this year, or before we use that elbow sitting to the person next to us this year, we should examine our own hearts first and apply it to ourselves first. Notice Paul begins by saying in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Paul is saying, suppose that I have the highest possible gift of tongues, tongues that men use and even those that angels use. Or suppose I speak with the best possible eloquence, And I'm able to speak with many languages, even the tongues that angels use, whatever that might be. Again, remember, he's going to the extreme here. And he's saying, in effect, suppose that I I had every imaginable type of speech. You would think that I'm pretty spiritual. You might even envy that. Suppose that we have a prayer time and, and I spoke up in tongues. I got up and, you know, started speaking in tongues. And, you know, you might say, oh, wow. Or suppose we go to a Chinese restaurant after this tonight and I speak to the waitress in Chinese and order all the food in Chinese. You might react and go, wow, that's pretty good. I can do all these things, but... If I do not show God's love to the person that I'm married to, my wife, it's all just noise. It's all noise. These things are great, 
but they don't amount to anything if God's love is not the motivating force in my life. In reality, these great things only bring attention to ourselves. They're only for our own attention so that we can actually be the center of attention. I like what Alan Redpath said about this. He said, the power behind your tongue, your speech, is not determined by the extent of your vocabulary, but by the depth of your heart, how much you love. So no one can boast of having the gift of speech, whether it's human or heavenly, and at the same time show a lack of love. If that happens, Paul declares at the end of verse 1 that the result of this is a person who is is just a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. What's the symbolism here? It's interesting that the Greek word for sounding here is the Greek word akeo. And this is where we get our word echo. Sounding or echo is a repetition, a reverberation of sound. And brass is used to manufacture trumpets and horns because it has the property of producing powerful and penetrating sounds. Clanging symbol here. The word clanging originally had the meaning to cry aloud, to shout. Such as a battle cry or a loud cry or a mourning like when someone dies to wail loudly. Then it came to mean a hollow basin of brass. And the symbol in ancient times was a metal basin used like modern symbols in pairs to produce a a musical sound. So Paul is saying that apart from love, these great forms of speech are just noise. They're just annoying to the human ear. It's meaningless and it's only self-gratifying. And we're not to be Christians that can make a great deal of noise but there's very little love in the sounds we produce. The point is not speaking, is not the speaking of tongues, whether it's human or angelic, but am I practicing the love of God in my life? And we can all say the best prayers in the prayer meeting. We can stand up in front of everyone and sound off in tongues or even angelic language. we were able to we can have the most eloquent speech at a business meeting or at a conference but if we're not loving the person who we are married to with the love of God it's just all noise and it's just meaningless actually it's hypocrisy it's just acting the part it's just empty I remember some I remember back in the day it's been a long 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 time that Gloria and I you know had a real blowout on the way to church you know and I used to hate I would uh, we'd be in the parking lot and I'd say I can't get off I can't go into church like this well we have to I can't I just can't I can't fake it I I, I would, you go in you know it would get ugly you know we've had a couple of those you know and and I hate that, you know, and it's hard, <laughs> you know, and, and 
praise God, we've grown from that kind of, you know, immaturity back in the day, you know. And But it's just ugly when you go through something like that, you know. And then you go into church and you put on the smile and, hi, how are you doing? And yet inside you're, you know, you're, you're, you're crushed. God doesn't want us to live like that. It's hypocrisy. It's acting the part. Okay, moving past that ugliness, let, let's, think about, let's think about God's love for us. His love is not a love that displays itself like a buddy or a pal. His love is displayed through grace. Ephesians 2.5 says that when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By, cra- by grace, you have been saved. And this is one of the ways... Our Christian love should manifest itself toward our spouse through grace. Again, even when we think they're undeserving. And as we live together as a husband and wife, we are to show grace to each other in our daily lives. Because we are imperfect people. And we're going to rub each other the wrong way. And we're going to say something the wrong way. And we need to implement the grace that Christ has shown to us to our spouse. Again, it's a choice. God's agape love is to will to love them with this grace, not, not because we feel like it. Now, we're not to condone sin, but we are to show grace to our spouses or each other's imperfections and shortcomings. And as we do this, it shows that we're drawing from God's love and we're actually manifesting God's love in our hearts. And as a result it will win the heart of our spouse when they can see God's love in us and through us. And as we practice God's agape love through grace, we will draw closer to each other as we draw closer to Christ. We will draw closer to the Lord as we yield to his Holy Spirit. And you've all heard of the triangle, right, in marriage. You know, we're here and Christ is here. A lot of times in premarital, you'll you'll hear of this. And as you grow closer to the Lord, you're growing closer to each other and vice versa. I mean, it's a win-win as we yield to the Lord's spirit and his agape love. We grow closer to each other and we grow closer to the Lord. When we're not displaying God's agape love through grace toward each other, it's proof actually that our flesh our carnality is dominating us at that moment it's proof that the old man our fallen sinful nature has the upper hand in us instead of the divine nature notice at the end of verse one paul says i have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal there is a downward spiral or a progression into a deteriorating state that we fall into without God's love, especially in marriage. When I forsake the Lord, who is to be my first love, the love of God is replaced with carnality, and self will get the upper hand, and I will descend to the level of sounding brass and clanging cymbal, and and it's a slippery slope from there when we're yielding not to the Spirit of God, but we're letting the sinful nature, the old man, have the upper hand in our conduct, in our thoughts, in our words, in our, our love towards our spouse. It's, it's a quick spiral from there. Loving someone with God's agape love it is a constant battle. It is a constant battle, and it requires that we discipline our will, our self, 
to God's will, to God's agape love. It's a discipline that we have to practice a lot as we have two sinners living under one roof. We're going to have a lot of opportunities to practice God's love, but it's a great thing when we do. And when we don't, it, it can get really, really bad, like those arguments in the car. If we're abiding in God's love, then God's love reveals itself in loving our spouse when he or she is unlovable and his grace is manifested through us to our spouse. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And again, this command is to especially include our spouse. Notice uh, the progression of spiritual traits that Paul goes on to compare to love in verse 2. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In Chapter 14, the next chapter, um, the first verse, Paul speaks of, of prophecy as the greatest of spiritual gifts. Because the prophet not only foretells the future, but he proclaims God's truth. He proclaims God's truth to people so that they can know and understand it. A pastor is an example of one who gives out prophecy in that way. So Paul is saying that, if we can predict and foretell future events, if we can declare God's word, and if we can exhort and warn others, but to not but do not have God's love, it amounts to nothing. And if we bring that down to our marriage, sometimes a husband and a, or a wife they can use the word of God to blast one another in a completely wrong manner. In an argument, we use God's word as a weapon and try to bring conviction as we point out their shortcomings. And when we do this, it drives away the spouse because it's done in the flesh and not with the motive of a loving heart. And Paul is saying that even with the great gift of prophecy, if it's not ministered in love, it is nothing. The motive and the goal of God's love should regulate our interactions even when we must speak difficult truth. Maybe a spouse is wrong in their conduct, but instead of, of blasting them with God's word, well, you know, you should submit or you, you know, whatever it may be, we are to give them God's word with love after much prayer. Paul says in the middle of verse 2, he says, Suppose I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. This speaks of the sum of all knowledge, human and divine. It includes the knowledge people learn of them for themselves and, and what they know, which is revealed only by divine revelation. If I had true insight into all the mysteries there is to know, even the mystery of marriage. As Paul declares in Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. If I had all the knowledge about Gloria, what makes her tick? But there was no love accompanying that. 
Paul says, I am nothing. I don't possess any real value. It's nothing in the sense of honoring God. It's nothing in the sense of pleasing God. It's nothing in the sense of being rewarded by God. And this is, if you think about it, this is really heavy because these are incredible attributes to have. But it also gives us the incredible contrast on the importance and the priority of God's love. Notice Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 2, he says, if I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And Paul is quoting the thought of Jesus in Matthew 17, 20, referring to faith which could remove mountains. And imagine what an amazing thing it would be to have faith that can do the impossible. Honey, you want that mountain moved over there so that our property value can triple? No problem. I have that kind of faith. Honey, you want to be able to see the ocean? I'll move that mountain for you. No problem. I have that kind of faith. But Paul is saying that even this kind of faith makes us nothing without love, without God's love. And someone put it this way. He says, a man with faith can move great mountains, but he will set them right down in the paths of somebody else or right on somebody else if he doesn't have love. And just when you think that Paul, you know, is not going in, can't go any deeper, look at what he says in verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. In this verse, Paul is referring to the superiority of love over deeds of great service and sacrifice. Even the sacrificial service of laying down one's life. And... and Love is sacrificial, as Paul points out in in Ephesians 5.25, for husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So some may have thought that this great sacrifice, like giving up one's possessions or one's life, that was proof of of, of great love. But Paul will will tell us what he's talking about here. He says in the first part of verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And he's not talking about giving a little after payday, but giving everything I own. If we sold everything we own to feed the poor, you know, people would think, wow, what a great reward. What a crown they're going to have in heaven. And we'd automatically assume that based on that kind of service, there would be, you know, just that, that kind of special reward in heaven. But Paul says, without the love of God behind this kind of sacrifice, it profits nothing. And being the strange people that we are, it, you know, it's possible for us to do amazing sacrificial things. And in our minds, you know, we all, you know, in our flesh, we'll, oh, I hope they saw that. You know, we, we use subtle ways to let people know sometimes that we did certain things. So that people will see that we did something great. You know, and we want to be thought of in a certain way. 
If someone gives all that he owns to feed the poor, but it is not done with the motive of God's love, it's just religious activity. It's just an outward movement. And there are many who deceive themselves by thinking that by giving to others, they're going to score points with God. You know, or they're going to score points in heaven. I think of Thanksgiving every year and you see on the news all these celebrities down at the mission and down on Skid Row and they're feeding the hungry and all that kind of stuff, which is good. I mean, it's a great thing. But it always makes me wonder when I see that every year, you know, is there a real love for the homeless? Or a love for God? Or is it just a PR kind of thing? Now, I don't know their hearts, you know, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do it for the right motive, but it makes me wonder that. And it make you know, we bring it down to ourselves and, you know, we can serve and go to every medical outreach. Give a Christmas shoebox outreach. Be involved in every ministry. But if God's love is not guiding our hearts, Paul declares it, it profits nothing. It doesn't have eternal value. And and you know what, you guys? The awesome, great thing about walking with our Lord is that as we yield to his great love and how he works in our lives, he, he takes us and he refines our motives and the reasons why we do things if we're yielding to him. And as we walk with God, we will do some things that God will call us on. He will speak to my heart and says, you know, Henry, what you did was, it was an okay thing, but it was done with the wrong motive. My love was not really in it. You just went through the motions. You did what Gloria asked you to do, but you know, you really didn't want to do it. Your heart wasn't in it. But that, you know, if you're walking with God, that's a good thing, you guys, because you realize that all things are open and naked before his eyes. And if you belong to him, he is, I hope he speaks to your heart like that. And you yield to him. That's what we're supposed to do. So that we grow, so that we get realigned in why we do things. And God is gracious. He's good to us to purify our motives. So that what we do, we do of a heart of love and a love for each other. But all that comes down to our relationship with the Lord. How strong, how deep, how mature, how close are we walking with God? Look at the second part of verse 3. He goes, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Have you ever had that argument where you say, you want me to kill myself? Is that what you want? Will that make you happy? I'll go lie in front of the car. Is that going to make you happy? Well, then you'll know I love you. You guys haven't had that one? (laughs) God's love is not usually in that kind of sacrifice, you guys. One writer put it this way. He said, even self-sacrifice can be self-centered. It's self-centered. 
And though I make the most painful sacrifices of myself, if I should make an extreme sacrifice for the good of others and my motive is not love, it profits me nothing. We can go out of our way to do something for our spouse, whether it's good, doing something around the house or taking them somewhere, but if it's not done in love, it amounts to nothing. I used to work with this guy who used to send his wife flowers every Friday on schedule every Friday. But he would, I would sit there and watch him and he would do it out of like, ah, you know, this, you got to send her the flowers. And I mean, I'm serious, but he did it, but he did it out of this. I mean, he'd even call her bad things, you know? I go in there and go, my mind, I'm going, why are you doing this? But he just did it out of motion, out of, out of obligation, out of, you know, it wasn't love. I know it wasn't. One writer said something interesting about this. He said, the works of love are often Im- imitated by those who have no love and yet desire to enjoy the praise of love. And it's bizarre that we can do something for someone so that we can get the praises of love from them, but we are not really showing God's love in the first place. You know, we, we kind of play that networking game sometimes to get in good. And we can deceive ourselves and we need to be careful. Though I may do great works of sacrifice for someone, if it's not done with the motive of God's agape love behind it, it profits me nothing. So God's love is superior to any and all of the gifts. Love is greater than powerful communication. Love is greater than spiritual gifts. Love is greater than personal sacrifice. Without love, we say nothing, we are nothing, we gain nothing. God says that life without love is zero. God's love, the love of Jesus, is the power that needs to drive any gift, any sacrifice, or deed, otherwise it's just outward religion. You can pile up all the good deeds. You can pile up all the education, all the spiritual gifts, and all the noble works. But without love, it still equals zero. But the awesome thing, you guys, is if we are Christians, if we are born again, we have access to God's love. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 tells us that we are taught by God to love one another. We don't have to manufacture or fabricate love. We only have to share the love we have been given and taught. As a result of 1 Corinthians 13 and as believers in Jesus Christ, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to pursue love. May God's love be our driving force as we go through this chapter. In Colossians 3.14, we're called to put on love. And may God's love be our dress code. May it become our dress code if it's not as we go through this chapter. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, we are commanded to increase and abound in love. And that's our prayer of what will result as we go through 1 Corinthians 13. May, as we go through this this year, you guys, may we not settle for where we are at this point in our marriage, even if it's good. 
Let's increase and abound in God's love for each other. If it's not good, may the Lord pull us out of that rut. And if it's good, may it get even better. 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 calls us to be sincere in love. And may our love for each other be so real and so sincere that our spouse is secure in our love because we love them with God's love. And when they look at us, they see the Lord. And, and, and that's a big one for me. I, I'm needy. I need to be secure in Henry's love. And, and the only way I can be is when I see him operating through God's love. We've been married 36 years. 37 this year. 37 November. this year. And to this day, when I tell Gloria, I love you, <laughs> she still says, do you really? <laughs> Somehow I've had that song in my head lately. <laughs> a, a Tevia where he asked his wife, Golda, you know, do you love me? Fiddler, yeah. And... She still wants to know, even though she knows. And I hope she knows, but she wants to know. And I still need to know. And she still needs. <laughs> and, okay, I go, yeah. and, and our yeah. prayer is that as we go through this year, that our love, you know, I know my husband loves me. And, and we all probably know our spouse loves us. We don't want anything to happen to each other. And we're committed, but we want it to be, may it be sincere as we go through it this year, that our love would be sincere in our spouse and we would be secure in that sincerity of love because it's God's love. Philippians 2.2 calls us to be like-minded, having the same love. And may we be united together with our spouse in God's love. And again, if we're not there tonight, that's our prayer. That should be your prayer. That as we go through this, we would be united even more, even if we are, even more. United, so close, the enemy cannot wedge anything in between us because we abide in God's love for each other. First Peter 4 8 challenges us to be fervent in love for one another. May God's love in us be in us for our spouse, and may it never, ever, ever end. May God's love in us for our spouse be from here to eternity. Get that? Until one of us goes home with the Lord or until he returns for us, but may it be forever and fervent. Hebrews ten twenty four calls us to stir up love or stir up one another to love. And may we exhort and stimulate each other to love each other with God's love, especially as we go through this this year. May that be something that we learn to do. Yeah, may it be a goal as we encourage each other to love with God's love. But it needs to begin with us. It needs to begin with me. The best way I can encourage my husband to love with his love is for me to begin to love him with God's love. Good days, bad days. I, I need to do it first. God's love is the power that uh, we need through his Holy Spirit to function under one roof in this life as a married couple. There's no other way. And I think the world and the statistics prove that there's no other way that we will survive our culture this day and age without the love of God abiding in us as we go through everyday life and we live under the same roof. And you know what, guys? True love isn't about us. It's not about us. True love is about God's love. And if we want to be more loving in our marriage, then we have to grow closer to the Lord. That's what it boils down to. And as we grow closer to the Lord, 
the God of love in a personal way, his love will supernaturally flow into our hearts and we will be transformed. There's nothing like that. When I see Gloria through God's eyes in those times and I go, wow, that's different. You know, we're both imperfect. We're both heading toward that goal line to the finish, to the end zone there together. She puts up with me. It all starts with each of us individually and with Jesus. And as Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Guys, we we need the love of Jesus in our hearts. We need the spirit of God in our hearts because there is no greater love or no greater power to love and to live our lives apart from God's agape love. And when we yield to God's agape love in our lives, in our marriage, then there can be forgiveness in our marriage. And as I said earlier, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for that. But the only way we'll be able to do that is by the power of his Holy Spirit through his agape love in our hearts and in our marriage. And when we yield to God's agape love, then we can put up with those things that rub us the wrong way, the imperfections, the shortcomings, the annoyances, whatever it is that we go through. We will be able to overcome that and see our spouse through God's eyes and love them with God's love. You know, the world will forget what we say, but they will not forget what we do or how we live or how we love. And may the world see the love of God in the midst of our marriage. Very important, you guys. People see you. People see your marriage. They're watching, whether you know it or not. Your kids are watching. Your grandkids are watching. Your neighbors are watching. Your family they see what kind of marriage are they seeing do they see the love of god in your marriage it's very important very important and i praise the lord for first corinthians 13 because throughout time love has become so watered down it's become so perverted in the day and age we live in there's been all the songs throughout the years and you would have had thought that the world would have had enough of silly love songs but as i look around me i see it isn't so some of you get that right (laughs) i don't know why today i thought of this i used to love this song but it's so stupid (laughs) you know if you can't be with the one you love love the one you're with (laughs) i used to love that song in the world but now that i'm saved you're just like what (laughs) You know, that's the world's thought. The Apostle Paul could have just left us here in verse three and he could have said, you guys better love one another and then end it like that. But he didn't. He guides us through the agency of the Holy Spirit to get a handle on the definition of love. And in the months to come, we're going to dive in and take a look at what God's love looks like, according to first Corinthians 13. And I want to leave you guys with a question. Do you love your spouse? And you're at, yeah, of course, everyone's going to say, yeah, of course I do. That's the right answer. But what do we mean by love? Many times we love our spouse in a non-concrete, uh, concrete, uh, general manner. But do we take it deeper? Do we put it into action? Are we willing to take it deeper? 
Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, exhorts us to be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, action, as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us. 1 John 3, 6, 18 says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And in the next few months, we're going to take a look at what biblical love looks like in everyday married life. And Paul's incredible chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, is going to guide us this way. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you so much, Lord, for having access, Lord, to the word of life for our marriages, for our walk. Father, and Lord, I pray in the months to come that we would commit We would sit at your feet. We would take in these incredible passages, every single line that you're going to give us, Lord. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love does not envy. Love suffers long. All the different traits, Lord, and all the different definitions of practical love and that we would truly be transformed in our own lives, in our marriages, and our spouse would just see a change in each of us, Lord. Not us trying to change them, but our our spouse would see a change in us and that would just we would give you the glory Lord, for you can do that and you want to do that in all of us no matter what stage of marriage we're at so go before us lord i pray for anyone here tonight that that needs to to have agape love in their lives lord that tonight would be the night of salvation lord that they would truly Give their heart to you, and you would just do that incredible work of pouring your Holy Spirit, your love in their hearts, in our hearts. So go before us now, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.